What do you say to your successor? What advice do you give him or her? Vayelach is the place to look for the answer because it's here that Moses finally handed the reins over to Joshua and he and God both gave him a blessing for the future, but they gave him different blessings. Listen to them and they sound almost the same. Moses says, be strong of of good courage for you will come with, you will come with this people into the land. God says, be strong of of good courage for you will bring the Israelites into the land. Tavo or Tavi come with or bring. The words sound and seem similar, but the difference, as understood by the sages, was total. Here is how Rashi puts it. Moses said to Joshua, make sure that the elders of the generation are with you. Always act according to their opinion and advice. In other words, come with the people into the land. However, the Holy One, blessed be he, said you will bring the Israelites into the land, meaning bring them even against their will. It all depends on you. If necessary, take a stick and beat them over the head. There is only one leader for a generation, not two. So we have two extremes of leadership, consensus or command. Moses advised Joshua to pursue a policy of consultation and conciliation. What he was saying, in effect, was you don't need to follow the people. You're the leader, not they, but you do need to work with the elders. They, too, are leaders. They constitute your team. They need to feel that they are part of the decision-making process. They won't expect you always to agree with them. Often they won't agree with one another, but they do need to feel consulted. If they sense that you're not interested in their opinions, if the impression they have of you is a person determined to do things his way regardless of everyone else because you know better, they will attempt to sabotage you. They will do you harm. They may not succeed. You may survive, but you will be injured. You will limp. Your standing among the people will be diminished. They'll say, how can we respect one who is not respected by the elders? I said, Moses, I think I'm improvising here, but thinking what was in his mind, Moses was saying, I speak from experience. The Karach rebellion was serious. It wasn't just Karach. It was also the Reubenites and leaders from other tribes. And though the rebellion was cut short, in the most dramatic way possible, we were all diminished and nothing was quite the same ever again. So make sure the elders of the generation are with you. If they are, you will succeed. God, according to the sages, took the opposite approach. I imagine him saying, the time has come to leave the wilderness, cross the Jordan, conquer the land, and build the kind of society that honors the human beings I made in my image instead of enslaving and exploiting them. Don't look for consensus. You will never find it. People's interests are different. Their perspectives are not the same. Politics is an arena of conflict. I didn't want it to be that way, but having given humanity the gift of freedom, I can't take it back and oppose my impose my will by force. So you must show the people the way. Lead from the front. Be clear. Be consistent. Be strong. The last person who gave the people what they wanted was Aaron, and what they wanted was a golden calf. That was nearly the end of the Jewish people. Consensus in politics or business or even in pursuit of truth isn't leadership, but the abdication of leadership. I chose you to be Moses' successor because I believe in you. Therefore, believe in yourself. Tell the people what they must do and tell them why. Be respectful of them. By all means, listen to them. But at the end of the day, the responsibility is yours. Leaders lead. They don't follow. Those were, then and now, the two great options. But notice something very odd.
The person urging consensus is Moses. But Moses never acted by consensus. This is the man who had to almost to drag the people out of Egypt through the sea and across a howling desert. The man who did things on his own initiative without even asking God. This is the man who broke the tablets of stone, hewed and engraved by God himself. When did Moses ever lead by consensus? To be sure, he had 70 elders, princes of tribes, a devolved structure of administration with heads of thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. But though they helped him, they didn't advise him nor did he seek their advice. What suddenly turned Moses into a peacenik, a lead-by-consensus man? That is one problem. The other one is the advice given by God himself, lead from the front even against their will. But that isn't how God acted, as understood by the sages. For instance, listen to the words, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who was he speaking to? Rashi says, from here we learn the humility of the Holy One, blessed be he, since man was created in the likeness of angels, and they would envy him. He consulted them. God consulted the angels before making man. And uh, so God did work by consultation. It's true that the sages say that at Mount Sinai, God suspended the mountain above the Israelites' heads and said, if you say no, this will be your grave. Now that is, I admit, not consensus. But that isn't the plain sense of the verse either. To the contrary, before he gave the Torah to Israel, God commanded Moses to explain to the people what was being proposed. And it was only when the people, all the people together, with one voice, when they agreed, only then, that was the covenant made. In other words, uh, God himself did not impose himself on the people without the consent of the governed. The very act of giving humans freedom means that God never forces us against our will. As Eisenhower once said, hitting people over the head isn't leadership, it is assault. So why was God here speaking out of character? Here's God who consults with the angels, with human beings, and he is telling Joshua, lead from the front, don't consult. The answer, it seems to me, is this. Both God and Moses wanted Joshua to know that true leadership cannot be a one-sided affair, be it the pursuit of consensus or command and control. There has to be a deft balance of both. They wanted Joshua to hear this in the most striking way, so each said what they were least expected to say. Moses, whom everyone associated with strong, decisive leadership, in effect told Joshua, don't forget to strive for consensus. Your task is not what mine was. I had to take people out of slavery. You have to lead them into the land of freedom. Freedom means taking people seriously. The leadership of a free people involves listening, respecting, and striving for consensus whenever possible. God, who gave humans their freedom and never imposed himself on people against their will, said, Joshua, I am God. You are not. I have to respect people's freedom. I have to let them go the way they're determined to go, even if it's wrong and self-destructive. But you are a human among humans, and it's your task to show them the way that leads to justice, compassion, and the good society. If the people don't agree with you, you have to teach them, persuade them, but ultimately you have to lead them, because every, if everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes, that is not freedom, but chaos. In short, leadership isn't simple. It's complex, because it involves people, and people are complex. You have to listen, and you have to lead. 
You have to strive for consensus, but ultimately, if there is none, you have to take the risk of deciding. Had they waited for consensus, Lincoln would never have ended slavery. Roosevelt and Churchill would never have led the free world to victory. And David Ben-Gurion would never have proclaimed the state of Israel. It isn't the job of leaders to give people what they want. It's the job of leaders to teach people what they ought to want. But at the same time, they have to involve people in the decision-making process. Key figures and constituencies feel, must feel that they were consulted. Collaborative, consultative, listening leadership is essential in a free society. Otherwise, there is autocracy tempered by assassination. Leaders must be teachers, but also learners. They must be visionaries, and yet have time for the details. They must push people, but never too far, too fast, or they will fail. They must speak to the better angels of our nature, teaching us to love, not hate, forgive, not seek revenge. They must always prefer the peaceful solution to the one that involves taking a stick and hitting people on the head, even though they're prepared to do so if there's no alternative. Leaders must be capable of more than one style of leadership. Otherwise, as Abraham Maslow said, those who have only a hammer treat every problem as if it were a nail. Considering the effort, energy, stress and pain, why anyone should seek to be a leader would remain a mystery, were it not for this luminous truth, that there is no better way to flood life with meaning than to have lifted others and helped them to a greatness they never knew they had, to have together with others righted some of the wrongs of this injured earth and its creatures, to have acted rather than waited for others to act, and to have brought others with you for the greatest leader on earth or in heaven cannot lead alone. These are what make leadership the greatest privilege by which any of us can be blessed. As Moses said to Joshua, Ashrecha shezachita lahanik hamakom. Happy are you to have merited leading the children of God. The crown of leadership is invisible. Yet you know who is wearing it and who isn't. It's there, in front of you, waiting for you to put it on. Wear it with pride. And may all you do be blessed.